Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. A very good morning to you and thanks for tuning in. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. My name is Nimro Chimbele. How are you doing on this glorious day? I hope you're keeping warm as weather in Gauteng is rather chilly. Uh, this winter is promising nothing but havoc given the unprecedented rains that you've seen throughout the country. My thoughts goes to homeless folks during this time of the year and I hope you can all support any initiatives meant to alleviate their trauma. Let us all donate stuff like blankets, clothes and food as these items are desperately needed after all. Africans and, and South Africans in particular, we care for each other irrespective of where we come from. Today being the 25th of May 2022, we are celebrating Africa Day. Training resilience in nutrition and food security on an African continent, strengthening agro-system, health, social protection, and for accelerating human social and economic capital development. In my view, there's truly reason to celebrate Africa as it up, as it open for business. Top of mind uh, for celebrating the African, for me, is the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which seeks to, which seeks to uh, create a massive trade block connecting close to 1.3 billion people across 25 countries in the continent. It is also exciting to see countries, African countries and global community as it were, promoting diversity and reflecting on the success of Africa from a cultural and economical point of view. Clearly, there's a lot to talk about, in a, in a, particularly in the context of the potential which the continent wields from an economic uh, point of view. I implore you, the beloved listener of Beyond Governance, to join in the celebration of this continent of resilience an abundance of business opportunities that await all of us. I'm delighted to share the space and time with you, beloved listeners of the show. We, we have so much in store for you today as we celebrate Africa Month. Moving on swiftly, I just want to reflect on just two issues which are which caught my attention. One is the high-level review panel by panel report by Professor Sandy Africa, as well as the story on the Stellenbosch urination saga. We have seen through media that the minister and the presidency, Monli Gugubele, and the deputy, as Zizigoto, have sort of gave us a warning that social tensions are growing, you know, due to poverty, which is perceived as the time bomb. Made me wonder at what point this sudden realization happened. When did they discover this? And who is responsible for this kind of mayhem? It would be interesting for me to hear the kind of responses which the ministers would provide. I also picked up that the Minister of Trade and Industry, Ibram Patel, indicated that the cable theft costing the economy 46 billion rands a year quite, is quite extraordinary, if you ask me. But this begs the question, what does he say about the rule of law in this country? Surely, in my view, if we were to restore the rule of law, boost in for in, uh, con- uh, uh, investor confidence, we can turn the fortunes of this country. There's no amount of talking and grandstanding that will make a difference. That's my humble view in as far as this is concerned. The other issue around the cable theft about Eskom and Prasa. We have noted that critical infrastructure targets, infrastructure are being targeted by syndicates who are damaging railway infrastructure and power station to still copper table. And again, this begs the question, if leadership is a dealer in hope, to what extent do you think the transport minister, the board of Prasa and executive are inspiring confidence. If your answer is no, then I wonder why thieves are exploiting the opportunities. It makes you wonder, isn't it? The other issue that I wanted to quickly reflect on has to do with the Stellenbosch saga, which has been doing rounds in social media since last week. 
And we've heard that the University of Stellenbosch has reiterated the importance of following law processes and improving the alleged racial discrimination on campus. We also hear that the culprit wishes to extend the olive branch, which in my view is acceptable, it's an accessible gesture. However, an apology without social justice simply does not cut it. Matters such as this should be addressed soonest. The outcome should serve as a deterrent to those who have a racist outlook. You know, the thought of somebody, the thought of somebody urinating on your property, it's simply shameful and, and, and barbaric, and it must be dealt with uh, accordingly. And hope uh, the leadership will simply do what, what is correct. Uh, Neither to say the apology, I'm sure we, we, we all add some point, but, you know, uh, justice must still prevail. That's, that's my two cents worth on this particular issue. If you are just joining us for the first time, um, welcome aboard. Very interesting to have you around, and I hope to keep you entertained throughout. If you missed any of our previous show, not to worry. Simply visit our website, which is www.highfm.com, and look for Beyond Governance. Download those podcasts and show your views through the SMS line, Telegram, or Twitter. My um, SMS line is 34519, and my Twitter handle is at Nimrod. As a norm, you know, we, we often have to thank the producer of the show for, you know, without the technical insight, the show would have all sorts of gremlins. Uh, on that note, Busi Masinga, uh, thank you very much for attending to these gremlins, and hopefully nothing of sort will happen today. Moving on swiftly, uh, in today's conversation, I'm joined by Nozive, Noziviwe King, who is an author of Great Africa Research. And in this book, she unpacks the simple and yet deep-rooted challenges Africans need to confront and solve proactively and in a sustainable way. Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to, to welcome my guest in this glorious Africa Day morning. Noziviwe, happy Africa Day, man, and welcome to Beyond Governance. Thank you, Dr. Nimrod. Thank you very much. Uh, indeed, the honor is ours. You know, I've looked at your resume, which is quite impressive. And typically, I would want my guests, you know, I would want you to share your brief resume with the guests so that the listeners are able to locate you, comprehend you, and follow you where necessary. Give us a brief anecdote. Who is Nosivi with Glenrose King? Well, in summary, um, Nosivi's way, Glenrose King is born from the lovely dusty streets of Soweto. My home is in Dobsonville. And um, I grew up from a family that was really humbled. My parents were not too learned, but they loved education. Our mother was a praying woman and she always aspired that, you know, we do something and we love the community. She loved the community. And I want to believe that she somehow inoculated me, inoculated us, to actually love serving the people around us. And, you know, when we grew up and we started doing whatever that we were doing in our walks of life, we always remembered people in one way or another. So my personal journey starts from a family that is very close-knit and um, loving people and want to serve people. I can always remember how my mother always spoke on behalf of the neighbours when there was a pipe or a leakage she was the first one who was called in to lock in a complaint when there was a problem people fighting she was the first one who was actually called in and those things were the values that we watched growing up and they molded and they took us to the places and the journeys that we find ourselves or let me speak for myself with the work that i'm currently doing i've got a doctorate in christian education i'm very passionate about the policy space 
And I always say that the little stories I tell about the, my background and how my mother was an activist and she played a big role in being an advocate of community development and we learned in terms of that, how we need to stand up for those who cannot speak for themselves, those who cannot fight for themselves, to have a voice and to be there whenever you know people don't know what to do. That actually has penned my journey into, firstly, when I was 19, I was appointed an ambassador of hope, peace and reconciliation to London during our first democratic elections just before my 20th birthday. A mandate which at that time, you know, as a young person, you don't understand the seriousness of how things are going to pan in the future. But I continued to see a mandate that was speaking reconciliation, that was speaking peace embedded upon my life and embedded in my journey. And I use that, in fact, to equip and to develop people and to be a catalyst in policy and governance issues. And that's what I call myself, that I'm a catalyst when it comes to issues relating to policy. I stand up and I fight and I am very intentional in addressing issues and especially sensitive issues that most people are not willing to actually talk about and to address. So my book that we are talking about today um, it's actually my seventh book. I'm an author. I've published seven books. And I'm just going to give you the titles of the last three so that I don't talk much about uh, my, my other books. Just a brief introduction. The one book, the title is The Seven People You Will Meet on Your Way to the Top. And my sixth book is Unshaken in Shaken Times. And this one that we're talking about today is titled The Great Reset of Africa. And my subtitle is Resolutions and Sustainable Developmental Priorities and Strategies Towards Agenda. Thank you very much for that insight. Wow, that's quite impressive indeed, uh, Dr. King. Uh, I think you, you duly deserve to be addressed in that particular fashion. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back just in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Uh, welcome back. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. I'm joined by Dr. Nuziwe King, who is, polit- who is a policy analyst and author of a book titled The Great Reset of Africa, Resolution Strategies and Sustainable Development Priorities Towards Agenda 2063. When you, you know, just before we took that break, you give, very, give us a very good sense of who you are. And I certainly believe that the listeners appreciate the person that you, you, that you are. Take us through, first and foremost, what inspired you into writing this book titled Africa Greatest Research? Because the title itself is quite loaded. Take us through the thinking behind that, please. Firstly, as my name suggests, uh, I've always believed that being Nazi's way, It is my responsibility, in fact, to live up to my name. Direct translation of my name is Mother of Nations. So there's already an expectation on that name for me to deliver big as a mother to the nations. That's number one. Secondly, my work around policy space uh, from when I had served in the boards of Federation of Retailers, when I was head of policy for the South African Chamber of Commerce, 
a role that actually took me and participated in seven um, subcommittees at BUSA. And some of that work was actually sending me even to a few network meetings as well. Being in the presidential uh, pavilion as well, all of that assisted me to have a clear understanding of the landscape of policy and what is it that needs to be done with regards to making a voice to really become a resolution that becomes legislation, that becomes constitution. And I took it upon myself to make sure that my voice needs to speak an echo for not just only for issues within our immediate communities or within our country, but it needs to go across the countries of Africa and across the entire continent of Africa. And then I started looking into what are the burning issues that Africa is really battling with and what is it that Africa needs to really start focusing on so that we become a model continent and we are able to redefine our posture globally so that you know we can be taken seriously and we can be given a platform to speak with a voice of authority and with power. And I knew the only way to actually do this is to write this book, to put my thoughts down, to make recommendations and come up with strategies that will assist Africa to actually become the continent that we want it to be. And particularly, I focused on Agenda 2063 because from where I'm standing and I was writing this book, I was looking into impacting a full generation, come up with a full scope that a new generation will be able to look into this. We work towards equipping a generation that by the time 2063 comes, because a generation takes about 40 years. So between now and 2063, we are talking of 41 years. So we've got a responsibility to turn things around for the next generation that by 2063, when the Geneva Conference sits in Switzerland, then we should be able to look into Africa as a completely different continent compared to what it is right now. We need to work into our governance. We need to unify under a whole lot of things regarding our flag. I'm looking into a lot of things that, you know, that have to be put in place. I don't want to unpack the book before maybe you, you start getting into a few things in the book, but I'm just talking about what really inspired me that, you know, we need to see change. We need to give Africa an opportunity to be positioned completely different so that, you know, the world has its eyes on, on Africa, but Africans are having their eyes wandering and looking elsewhere for something better, you know? When the world is really trying to grab the continent and to own it and to use the resources, even the manpower that we are having, because, you know, Africans are hard workers. We are hard workers by nature. When you look into the history of slavery, you find that it was the African race that was actually put into slavery because of the amount of work and the, the ability to tolerate pain and to endure when it comes to working. And we need to actually use that to our advantage and come up with skills and opportunities that will empower us and get us to where we're supposed to be. So all these things have been strengths that I've been looking and observing to say, with or without education, an African person is robust enough to be able to stand the challenges and the issues of life 
And we need to help Africans to gain their confidence, to skill them, to give them the confidence to know that they've got three powers, the power of ownership, the power of possession, and the power of pursuit that actually came inherently with being an African, and we should not be apologetic to being Africans. We must just regroup and have confidence in what has been entrusted in our hands. That's a very interesting philosophy which grounded you in writing this marvelous book that is the subject of our conversation this morning. One of the issues that you have raised which does resonate with me and I'm sure will resonate with a lot of uh, people is that the continent needs to change. That's first and foremost. The leaders of the continent needs to own up to the change which they need to see. And you are suggesting to us that the Agenda 2063 is a milestone which we all need to galvanize our resources, our intellect through numerous government programming so that the new generation would receive or inherit a better continent, as it were. So, and also get a sense that your book is actually earmarked for economists, policymakers, politicians, community leaders, and financial leaders. And so far, based on your articulation, it's quite intriguing. But as you move forward, in your book, you unpack what is referred to as the common African position on a development program, which is based on seven key principles. I'll just outline a few of those. One is the structural economic transformation, which is an inclusive growth. The second one is science and technology. Third being people orientation and development. The fourth being environmental sustainability. The fifth one being natural resource, risk and disaster management. The fifth being uh, peace and security. The sixth being funding partnerships. So these are obviously pillars through which we can deliver 2063 agenda or the new generation can inherit a better continent. Take us through your thinking on which of these pillars that I've made mention of you think we have done serious and road as a continent. When it comes to the pillars, they equally have a sense of um, strength and they need to be considered all seven of them. We need to parallelly look into the seven pillars with the priorities I'm actually saying when it comes to human development, we need to focus into those priorities. But for the sake of the question, when it comes to issues relating to science, technology and innovation, Africa needs to pull up its socks a lot. There is no way we're going to be able to continue without necessarily looking into things like artificial intelligence, being able to improve on the usage of technology. Like for instance, um, a lot of businesses that decided to work online around the deep lockdown that we had, for instance, in our country in South Africa and a few other African countries, you know, when COVID-19 hit so bad in 2020 and 2021, really struggled because then they had to close doors and they were not able to trade. So being able to be innovative and come up with creative ways of sustaining business when systems are actually changing or collapsing is a very important skill that Africans need to actually acquire and we need to make our, our businesses to be competitive when it comes to technology and being able to service throughout the world, you know, globally. We need to make sure that, you know, our natural resources, for instance, I'm actually stating that one as the second one, our natural resources 
are benefiting us as Africans, you know, and at the moment, we have a huge challenge that most of our natural resources are benefiting globally, and we actually have the minerals taken away from us, they are refined elsewhere, and then they are sold back to Africa at very exorbitant prices. And as a result, then it becomes a challenge for us to be able to enjoy the raw products that we are having, you know. We need to repackage how we actually export our products. And one of the key issues and the challenges I'm also raising with regards to our natural resources is that young people need to understand that we're having these natural resources, but these natural resources should still be there in 40 years' time. When we continue to dig and dig and dig our gold, you know, we will get to a point where we have dark and we don't have much gold underground. And we need to look into strategies where we can be able to say a certain portion, make a resolution, you know, that a certain portion of our ground where we know we've got, um, we've got gold, for instance, I'm making an example with gold of all the resources that we are having, should not be dark so that future generations should be able to come and to enjoy and not just point to say, we used to have gold there, you know? We can be able to come up with programs and systems of being able to trade with our raw minerals when they are still underground. Why can't we do that? If we can be able to trade with money when it's in the bank without touching it, how come we can't trade with our natural resources, preserve them such that, you know, future generations are able to access them? There is no way we cannot run programs that are not uh, people orientated. And we need to focus on human development, skill young people, skill women, empower them and push them into leadership positions, both at parliament, in the corporate, in government and in the society, in business as well. We need to empower women and give them a platform, let them be a voice have succession plans that actually include women and young people for our political structures in the parliament, in business, and in every sphere that actually speaks leadership. So all of these, are they are all intertwined and there's no way we'll be able to achieve this without peace and security. People need to know if they are, they, they, there's, there's peace and security. And if there isn't peace and security on the basic things, even things that are important, they will not accept them. And I will make an example about what we've just experienced with the flag story in South Africa, where a flag was actually supposed to be erected for an amount of 22 million. At the very same time, we were experiencing crisis of floods in KZN. And because of that, you know, there was a parallel confusion in terms of what is a priority when it comes to human development, humanity, carrying Ubuntu, you know, as opposed to just pushing policy. We are not saying the monumental aspects of celebrating things, the artistic things are not important in the country, you know, because post uh, 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 1994, we didn't remove a lot of our uh, uh, apartheid monuments and when the government tries to put budgets and they try to improve and to address those ills 
it becomes a problem, not because people don't want to support monumental programs, but if those monumental programs are actually threatening peace and they are threatening security of human life and human development, then it's going to be a problem for us to be able to focus on arts and monuments, which are also very important when it comes to issues of tourism. I mean, you're raising yes. a number of pertinent issues which uh, the listener would certainly agree with you. First and foremost, the issue of science and technology is quite critical. We, as, as a continent, needs to <clears throat> play a proactive role in programming, you know, or being at par with the other developing countries around the fourth industrial revolution. To that end, the point around um, information technology plays such a critical role. So this a massive domain, if you like, which Africa really needs to find its feet collaborate and partner with like-minded organizations, countries, so that we are able to harness all the salient points around fourth industrial revolution. The other issue that you agree that you raise, which I certainly agree with you on, is you know, it's about people orientation in all our endeavors. So for us to be critical role players in the fourth industrial revolution, that cannot happen without competencies and skills and opening opportunities for marginalized people such as youth and women. I certainly agree with you in that respect, that there has to be a concerted effort to try and drive up that. You also made a very pertinent issue around how natural resources should benefit the majority. So far, the indication that I'm getting is that the we, we're still exporting sizable amount of our raw materials and importing back as, as, as value-added commodities at the huge cost, surely. Mm -hmm. And these are some of the things we've been talking about for a very long time. And yet there's very little fraction in providing value add or in building infrastructure in African continent, let alone in South Africa for that matter, to mm -hmm. a point where we are able to generate ecosystem which can benefit you and I or anybody for that matter. So that seems to be a teething issue. And the last point that you raised, which I think is quite pertinent, is that none of these issues can take place outside peace and security. The flag story we can all resonate with, which I find interesting, that we had to push and build a 22 million monument amidst poverty, amidst unemployment. The sector, the arts and culture sector, most people have been out of work for almost two years. And here we are, we've got a minister who wants to launch a flag worth 22 million rands, which suggests that our priorities are completely misaligned. This is basically what I'm pulling from the issues that you've raised. Um, as we proceed, we just quickly want to take a break. We'll come back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back. It's amazing how time flies when you're really having fun. This is Beyond Governance at 101.9 High FM. I'm joined by Dr. Nozizwe King, who is Nozizwe King, who is a policy analyst and author of the book titled Great Reset uh, of Africa, uh, Resolution Strategies and Sustainable Development Priorities Towards Agenda 2063. Uh, it's quite pointed that we are talking about this book on the Africa Day. Before we went to the break, uh, you gave us a very great insight on some of the pillars which we all need to drive towards. But as a policy analyst, again, there's very good material that has been put forward. We've got policies, we've got programs, seems to be delaying. What accounts for the delaying in 
construction around all these areas that you have mentioned? Sure, there's a whole lot of things. Um, let me also touch on the issue of peace and security. You know, when we do not understand the importance of peace, where there is no peace, then there's a lot of red tape. And when there's red tape, then there's a lot of delays with regards to delivery. But also secondly, Africans are known generally that we call a meeting to have a meeting date. And when the meeting date comes, we actually draft the agenda. And when the agenda is done, then we set a date to unpack that agenda. So we continue having meeting after meeting where we talk about things and there's a lot of time that is actually used in sitting down and talking about things. But when it comes to actioning, you know, we are really challenged. We've got Africa has beautiful, beautiful understanding of governance and policy. And when you look into the constitutions of countries, you actually ask yourself, how come we are not achieving the things that we've actually put down and we value on paper, but we are not actually actioning out. And that is why in my book, then I'm tabling three things that firstly, we need to have the goals and the priorities that we want to achieve, then come up with a strategy. You can have a beautiful program, but if you don't have a strategy, the know-how, the technology of how things are done, you will continue to see a delay. And thirdly, taking resolutions, you know, the resolution, the word resolution for me says that you make an informed decision to say, this is our way of life. It's no longer something that you leave packaged nicely in a file or in a document that you are not actually rolling out. But when you make a resolution, you incorporate that on your day-to-day living. And once you incorporate that, it becomes a lifestyle, you live that. And that's what needs to happen to our policies, that we need to advocate on a daily basis on the things that we are believing in. And that is why I'm saying in my book that to wait for the Geneva Conference to start addressing issues, we would have lost yet another generation. So we need to actually start actioning now towards Agenda 2063 and to roll out and to start speaking, to see change, you know, to take it upon ourselves that we're going to be proactive as opposed to just delaying and entertaining politicking. And I'm, I'm, I'm choosing my words correctly to say politicking because I find that in Africa, we are focusing 90% of our parliamentary concerns into politicking, not just only politics, but politicking. And only 10% we actually allocated into governance. But if we change that narrative and we focus on governance, on leadership, you know, on rolling out and making resolutions and carrying them proactively, we will then start to see a difference. I couldn't agree with you more uh, based on, on what you've just indicated. So basically you're saying to us, if you were to have goals and priorities, on a basis of the priorities, then you have your strategies, and lastly, resolutions that are implementable. And again, uh, Doc, there has been a lot of these. We have seen goals and priorities. Every government doc- document has goals and priorities, strategies and resolutions. All these issues that you are putting forward aren't new. They are as old mm-hmm. as knows, I don't know what. But perhaps maybe just to take our conversation forward, what's your thought regarding the change of mentality, the change of attitude regarding meritocracy as an example? 
that we will not assign any person in a position of power without critical skills and competencies. So that is an example. What's your take on that? Okay, firstly, I think the notion that must break and a myth that Africa needs to confront is that we have this thing of leaders are not made, leaders are born. And that mentality is really delaying us because then firstly, it is giving responsibility to certain caliber of people for leadership. Even if they continue to fail us, we continue to appoint them on that very same uh, scope of leadership. In Africa, it's even worse, you know, where it comes to issues relating to who's in government, who's playing certain roles, you find it specific families. We continue to see leadership emerging from the very same families, you know, because of the same belief that leaders are actually born and not made. And we need to understand that we need to work on training and developing leaders. In as much as leaders can be born, we can make our leaders. We can discipline our young people. We can discipline women. We can discipline people that we see potential leadership and actually encourage them to go into leadership platforms and train them as well. You know, that's one. Two, we also need to understand that awareness does not bring change. You know, I mean, how many people drive past a, a road sign saying speed limit, it's, it's 80? But a person just tells themselves to say, I'm in a hurry, I need to get there. They know speed limit in this area is 80, they drive 90, they drive 100 and 120, you know? But when we continue to talk about the consequences of driving 90 and beyond anything beyond 80 in that space, people need to understand that the consequences of a certain action. Now, our leaders under normal circumstances are getting away with a lot of ills. We know of these things. We are not taking them into accountability. I read an article in the media where the president was saying that I told the minister to get away with this thing. You know, this thing, as in like, I told him to cancel this flag deal. And it's called cancel this thing. As though there's no proper accountability to have made that decision of 22 million. 22 million. How is it just that, you know, you can do something and cancel it just randomly like that? You know, there is so much deep stick approach in terms of how will the people respond? And if they keep quiet, then we get away with this. There is no accountability whatsoever. There is no monitoring. There is no evaluation. And for us to be able to say, therefore, this is not the kind of leadership that we want, you know. But all I'm saying is that at the end of the day, we're responsible for not being robust enough to stand and to say, if it's not actually changing the narrative of what we want, then we will remove it. If it is questioning or delaying the success that we want, we will not support it. If it is breaking and dividing us, we will definitely deal away with it. And once we start with those mentalities, then we will start to see an accountable platform where things are starting to fall in place and we get the results that we want. Couldn't agree with you more um, on that on the last point. Surely, based on what you've just said, it seems to me that we do need to have correct attitude and mentality towards governance. Do need to do away with 
entitlement mentalities from our leaders. We do need to impress upon all the constituencies around consequences of our actions. If we can't deal with uh, these issues, the chances are the Agenda uh, 2063 will not materialize in the manner in which you have envisaged. Am I correct to sum up your views in that particular fashion? Yes, absolutely, Dr. Nimrod. And also just to make emphasis that participating in the Agenda 2063 conference is not a given. It doesn't mean that, you know, just because you're you're an African country, you will participate. There are things that actually qualify and there are things that disqualify nations to participate in the Agenda 2063 conference. And as it is, as a country, South Africa, we are almost being disqualified. There's been a whole lot of things. You know, three, four years ago, I listened to interview, an international interview that was questioning what is the government doing about the issues relating to xenophobia? Because our xenophobic reports were actually giving a concern that we might even be disqualified to participate in Geneva 2063 conference. When South Africa is supposed to be the lead uh, country in the continent, in 2063. So the, our negligence of not addressing certain things will disqualify us in very serious opportunities for world performance, for being the model continent, for being the model country that we are supposed to be. I always say that Africa has a big brother and that big brother is South Africa. And South Africa needs to take responsibility of making sure that they take Africa into the promised land. And in this instance, the promised land becomes being accepted and participating and being seen as a global performer that is desired and looked up to by the rest of the world. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back just in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. Welcome back uh, to Beyond Governance. Uh, We are literally about to wrap up on this very interesting conversation. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Nozeviwe King, who is a policy analyst and author of the book titled The Great Reset of Africa, Resolution Strategies and Sustainable Development, uh, Priorities Towards uh, towards Agenda 2063. Um, She has really given us food for thought in terms of what are the critical levers for change which Africans need to uh, pursue uh, towards this particular uh, uh, big deal. But just before you took, before just before we went to the break, Nosibi, uh, you you have indicated that South Africa ought to play a particular role, um, which, um, well, it has been perceived as a big brother given its size of the economy, and when you look at it, but we gradually dissipating. At some point, it used to be number one. Uh, uh, we're now sitting at number three. Egypt is number one. Nigeria is number two. Uh, South Africa is number three. And are you saying because of malgovernance and malfeasance and how we are addressing issues towards the Agenda 23, there is a correlation? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, issues relating to peace and security are very pivotal in that decision. Secondly, issues relating to our accountability with our economy, you know, and um, the challenges that we are able to solve 
issues relating to unemployment, our education system, and all of that. And currently, even with our education system, you know, there's just so many gaps and questionable things that you see South Africa is actually like having a spiral going down on a number of things. I mean, right now, you look into the past rate of 40%, you know, those things are trying to accommodate and getting more learners being competent and be moved to the next grade. But when it comes to having to get them into systems where they have to perform and be engineers, you know, in 15 years time from now, we're not going to have engineers as much as, you know, we would want to have comparing to when we have to compete with the rest of the world because of the decisions that we are taking in our education policies at the moment. Things like our politics as well, you know, when there is instability in political circles, it becomes a challenge for us to be able to compete internationally as well. So those things are a concern when it comes to positioning for the leadership that we really need to to see. So we need to work into all of that. And I'm making resolution in my book that you know, we focus on a number of things that will push South Africa to really, because I mean, this resolution coming from an author in South Africa, that on its own is a plus, plus, plus. And that is why I'm saying policymakers, government, leaders, and anyone who's actually sitting in that space should actually consider this book because it will help us to address pertinent issues. I'm talking about having one flag as Africa. How come we don't have a unifying flag that we know is supposed to be erected with all our flags in Africa for every parliamental gathering or any official gathering? A flag that says that at the end of the day, we are all Africans. And until we have something that unifies us from a level of understanding the importance of a flag, we'll continue having issues of instability when it comes to peace and security, and we'll continue to see xenophobia continuing to grow because we continue to see ourselves as foreign to each other, whereas we are supposed to be of the same continent within the same radius. Yes, let us be separated by our borders for management and um, security. But when it comes to being African, we are all Africans and we need a flag that will unify us. We need a language. I'm making recommendation that you know we need to adopt Kiswahili because Swahili is already spoken by more than 200 million people within the continent. And it already has been qualified to be amongst the 10 most spoken languages in the world. How come we don't have a language that we say this is our unifying language, you know? And when we unpack the importance of that language, then we will see that it should give us an opportunity to move around without any concern. We can't continue to plan and to do our things in English. How are we going to do our things without them hearing us? How are we going to affect and to impact our continent when we always have to do our things in a foreign language? You know, these are things we need to talk about. I'm speaking about rescinding from the World Health Organization and from Af- and looking into forming a, an African health organization. Africans have a way of doing things. 
Dr. Lusebiwe, thank you very much. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. We need to wrap up. Um, um, it has been absolutely a pleasure having you. You've given us food for thought. There's a lot of mulling over that we need to do as a collective. We certainly uh, uh, resonate with the issues that you have raised in your book. Uh, once again, let me thank you for coming through. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Nimrod. And also, once again, happy Africa Day to you and your listeners. Happy Africa Day, indeed. Uh, there we go. That was the one and only Dr. Nosy Viewer King, who is a policy analyst and author of the book uh, titled The Great Reset of Africa, Resolution Strategies and Sustainable Development Priorities Towards Agenda 2063. I think that was an amazing uh, conversation that you've just had. Um, you know, we, we've struggled on issues such as leadership development, economic development, gender e um, equality, progression, free universal education, and the also the point about, you know, adoption of Swahili as a universal language. All these issues still need to be unpacked further. Unfortunately, we can only do so much within a very limited time. Once again, uh, let me thank you for tuning in. And uh, let's do this again. Have a good morning and enjoy Africa Day. Shalom. Beyond Governance was brought to you by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making.